Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. April is here, and that means it's time for basketball playoffs. You can use our promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V, Five zero to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Then you can use that 50% welcome bonus at Bet Online Sportsbook to place a plus 6,000 bet on my Sacramento Kings to light the beam and win the NBA championship. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, everybody, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 140. Here on the Take It Easy podcast. I hope everybody is having a fantabulous weekend. We have done 140 of these Wired Up episodes, most on Sundays, occasional Saturdays, but it's a way for us to throw on the microphones and talk about some of the happenings going on in the world of sports. So giving you guys a behind-the-scenes look at this week, we've got four incredible guests lined up, and we're going to be talking NBA play-in tournament. We're, we're going to find out the seedings today. A lot of them are already locked in. I mean, we know the Nets are going to play the Sixers, that uh, the Cavaliers are going to play the Knicks. We kind of know the 7-10 through 10 order in the East. The West is going to resolve its gluttony of 5-9 through nine today, and we'll talk about the Western Conference playoffs tomorrow, including some interesting stuff with Oklahoma City and Dallas. So we've got the basketball covered here on the show. We've got the football covered on the show. Not only are we going to have Mock Draft 3.0 this week, we're planning to talk with our friend Daniel Wilcox, Previously played for the Baltimore Ravens, worked in the Baltimore Ravens front office during that incredible 2019 season. He's got some particular insight on Lamar Jackson, and we're planning to have Daniel on this week. So we've got the basketball covered. We've got the football covered. We've got the golf covered with Walter Mitchell. The Masters is this weekend. It's probably going to end on Monday just because of how the rain schedule worked. There are trees falling at Augusta. Brooks Kepka is going to be anarchist and probably win the tournament by four shots. We've got the golf covered this week. So we've got basketball. We've got football. We've got golf. College basketball done for the season. We've got all the sports covered. Today, with our Wired Up episode 140... I wanted to take the time to hop in the Millennium Falcon and travel to a galaxy far, far away in the incredible universe here on the show we call Baseball. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, A perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose. Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up 
the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the Force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. Yes, we have traveled to a galaxy far, far away. We are in the middle of Empire Strikes Back. The season is underway. And for those keeping track at home of our Empire Strikes Back story, the Los Angeles Dodgers are 5-3, and three, first place in the National League West, despite the fact that Gavin Lux has now torn his knee and is out for the season. Despite the fact that, as we mentioned, they banished Lord Bellinger to the north side. By the way, the north side is actually doing pretty good this year. I mean, I I watched the Cubs play Texas on Saturday just because I was working a baseball game. It was the Fox Sports 1 game of the day, so I just threw it on the TV. Chicago Cubs are not a bad team at all with uh, Cody Bellinger as their seven hitter. Ian Happ is still there. Patrick Wisdom's a good young player for Chicago. Their lineup is not terrible. They got Jan Gomes, who hit a home run off of Texas. Their team is not terrible at all. They they beat the Dansby Swanson got a $100 million contract. They signed a player from Japan for $50 million. The Cubs are not a terrible baseball team at all, and they, they beat the breaks off of Texas to move within one game of the first place spot 
in the National League Central. Granted, it's like nine games into the season, but the National League Central is not very good, so anyone could win that division and get bounced in the first round of baseball playoffs. So the Dodgers banished Cody Bellinger. Trey Turner is playing for the surprisingly terrible Philadelphia Phillies. I think they were the last winless team to start the season. But the Empire is rebuilding and... Their resources remain unquestioned because they have pillaged the Purple Rockies and the backs of Diamond. Speaking of the backs of Diamond, so the Dodgers were playing Arizona yesterday in the backs of Diamond. Clayton Kershaw was pitching for the Dodgers. and Clayton Kershaw is just this interesting figure now in Major League Baseball spaces because Clayton Kershaw is undoubtedly a Hall of Fame pitcher. He's a, maybe the greatest pitcher to ever get to the majors he they were showing a statistic that his curveball has struck out more batters since he entered the league by or generated more swings and misses than any other pitch in baseball by about 1500 i think kershaw's curveball is at about 3700 swings and misses and the next closest pitch by any pitcher is at 2200 Like Clayton Kershaw is incredibly good. And I'm always interested to see how the back end of his career has gone. Because ever since 2019, he hasn't been the number one starter on the Dodgers. And they've kind of alternated between starters. I mean, Walker Buehler was a number one for a minute there. Ginger Guard, also known as Dustin May, was a number one. And then he had Tommy John surgery. And then Walker Bueller had Tommy John surgery right as Dustin May returned from Tommy John surgery. Julio Urias, the Mexican superstar, which obviously means something different when we talk about the Mexican fan base and just the Latino fan base of the Los Angeles Dodgers, particularly in Los Angeles and Southern California. Julio Urias becoming the number one star and closing out the World Series and then him being their best pitcher. They've never had to go get a bona fide ace, but they've always had someone better than Kershaw for the last four or five years. I mean, Kershaw started the All-Star game last year, but it was kind of circumstance in the National League. I mean, Sandy Alcantara was clearly the best pitcher in baseball, but because the All-Star game was in Los Angeles, they started Kershaw for the All-Star game. I've always been interested by the back end of his career because he has reinvented himself as the years have gone along. This would be the stage of his career where maybe he goes to another team. Like, you know, Verlander has kind of become a mercenary now, going from Detroit to Houston, now to the Mets. Scherzer went from the, the Nationals and a world champion late in his career to the Dodgers and then to the Mets. Obviously, this could have been Kershaw. Kershaw could have gotten that big contract from New York or that big contract from Houston. And I'm interested to see he's consistently been like recommitting to the Dodgers and is willing to be their number two starter. I've always been interested by the end of Kershaw's career as an all-time great. I mean, probably the greatest. It's hard to believe probably the greatest pitcher in our lifetime in at least my lifetime, I'm 21 years old, the best pitcher of my lifetime, probably the best Dodger pitcher of all time, and that includes Sandy Koufax and Oral Hershiser when you look at the numbers for Kershaw's career. It's interesting to see the back end of his career. I bring this up to say it's part of the Dodger empire and their uh, quest to get back after the Padres blew up their Death Star last year. 
Kershaw being the number two starter is always interesting to me. And something interesting happened when they were playing the Diamondbacks on Friday, which was they lost the game against an Arizona team that the past couple of years was really, really bad. And then I, you know, I don't follow the the baseball round. Uh, I don't follow the baseball hot stove as much as I did when I was younger. And so I got to this season with the Diamondbacks. I was like, okay, let's pull up the Diamondbacks roster. And I'd forgotten that they still have Lourdes Gurriel on their team now because they traded for him from Toronto. And Gurriel started in the All-Star game two years ago. Granted, in baseball, that can happen more often where a player starts in the All-Star game and gets traded for less than market value a year later. But Gurriel is now a Diamondback. Kyle Lewis, who won Rookie of the Year two years ago, is now a Diamondback. And Evan Longoria is now the starting third baseman for the Diamondbacks. Backs number one starter, Zach Gallen, has finished top five in the Cy Young two of the last three seasons. Arizona, not terrible, even though they're probably going to finish fourth in the National League West because they don't have a plethora of young talent and have not spent the money necessary to compete with San Francisco, the Dodgers, and San Diego. They could beat San Francisco, in fairness, They could catch San Francisco, but the point being the Diamondbacks, better team than I thought coming into the season. You may have seen Corbin Carroll, the player for the Diamondbacks whose parents dropped him off at the field. It was a viral video where for the opening day game for the Diamondbacks, his parents dropped him off in Arizona just because I guess they're living together or he's from there, whatever the reason was. It was a cool story where... Corbin Carroll carpooled to his opening day with the Diamondbacks. He he played last year, but he has rookie status for Arizona. The rookie carpooled with his parents to his opening day game. Corbin Carroll, the 22-year-old rookie for the Diamondbacks, and Evan Longoria, the 37-year-old veteran who they signed to be their starting third baseman for one season, went back-to-back off of Clayton Kershaw. And I thought this was funny because I couldn't confirm it with data, but a 37-year-old and a 22-year-old going back-to-back has got to be some sort of record for a largest age gap between players going back-to-back because like they're over 15 years apart from each other. That's got to be close to some kind of record. Again, couldn't confirm. I don't have the the plug with Optistats or with any of those. uh, What's the one that ESPN uses? Uh, Stats and Info, Elias Sports Bureau. I don't have the plug for any of those. I'm going to guess that a 37-year-old and a 22-year-old going back-to-back, a 15-year age gap between them, off of a Hall of Fame Clayton Kershaw, is something that probably doesn't happen, uh, is some sort of record. I know it doesn't happen very often, but I'm guessing it's some sort of record with a 15-year age gap between the two of them. So good on the backs of Diamond. The the Dodgers have pillaged you for all your resources. Your franchise is no longer competitive. You have Kyle Lewis and Lourdes Gurriel trying to compete with the Holy Dodger Empire and 
while those players are very nice, it's just not going to get it done. There was a reason Seattle and Toronto were willing to trade them despite being really good two years ago. So Arizona, thank you for beating the Holy Dodger Empire for at least one game. And uh, the San Diego resistance thanks you for your efforts in trying to defeat the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. All right, transition. Zach Gallen earlier, he is the ace pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks, one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball. If he finished top five in the Cy Young two of the last three seasons, feels pretty safe saying that you're some kind of an ace. So Zach Gallen, years and years ago, was a member of the Miami Marlins. The Miami Marlins have a lot of... Pitching prospects, they have over the years slowly tried to exchange pitchers for batters because, uh, just brief summary, when they dumped Giancarlo Stanton, Marcelo Zuna, JT Realmuto, Christian Yelich tore the franchise to the ground six years ago and rebuilt with Derek Jeter in charge, and now Derek Jeter's gone. When they did all of that, the Batting prospects that they got didn't work out. Victor Victor Mesa was one of those prospects. Lewis Brinson was the key piece in the Yelich trade. For some reason, all the batting prospects didn't work out. All the pitching prospects did for some weird reason in that trade. Jordan Yamamoto was a star for a season as a pitcher. They got Pablo Lopez, who they recently just traded, but he was a number three starter for them for years. Sixto Sanchez was a player they got in the Real Muto trade, and he was a he had a sub three ERA for two seasons, including the year that they won a playoff series against the Cubs in 2020. They and of course Sandy Alcantara, who is the best pitcher in all of the National League, if not all of Major League Baseball right now, won the Cy Young last season, pitched a shutout in his uh, second start of the season against the Twins. Just Sandy Alcantara, just incredible player. They got him in a trade for, uh, they got him in a trade for with the Cardinals, and they also had Zach Gallen in the same trade, and they traded Zach Gallen to the Diamondbacks in exchange for Jazz Chisholm. A trade that has pretty much worked out great for both sides. Zach Allen is a ace for the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are fourth place in the National League West. And Jazz Chisholm started in the All-Star game last year at second base and is on the cover of MLB The Show as the star for the Miami Marlins, who are also fourth place in their division. Neither team was actually going to compete for anything. One got an ace starter. The other got an incredible flashy left fielder who hits home runs and steals bases and flips bats and gets to be on the cover of MLB The Show. The reason I bring up Jazz Chisholm is because 
Jazz got into a really funny exchange on Twitter over the weekend. So Jazz Chisholm, the Jazz last year, there were talks about his flashiness and Again, this is sometimes code word for his Latin flair or his joy of the game because Jazz Chisholm, I believe, is from the Bahamas and Jazz is someone who even last year his team was saying that they were kind of fed up with Jazz Chisholm. And there were reports that the Marlins might consider trading him just because he was too obnoxious for even the players in the locker room. And ultimately, Miami ended up trading Miguel Rojas who had been their shortstop for seven years and was the captain of the team for five, the heart and soul of really bad Marlins teams, but was someone who loved playing in Miami, loved being a captain, loved being a leader. They traded Miguel Rojas to the Dodgers, Don Mattingly, the manager for about 10 years after he got fired by the Dodgers. I think it was like eight years, but Don Mattingly ended up leaving as manager and Rojas and Mattingly leave. Meanwhile, Jazz Chisholm is still there. there. I don't know exactly the story behind it because I don't follow it close enough, but Chisholm still being the future and the guys like Mattingly and Rojas as the clubhouse leaders, the manager who had been there for eight years, one of the longest tenured in baseball, they left and Jazz is still there hitting leadoff. So the Miami Marlins are not good enough to compete. I mentioned Pablo Lopez. They traded him for Luis Arayas. They signed Avisel Garcia to a four-year contract, and that contract has just gone incredibly poorly for Miami. Just, uh, you know, Miami doesn't spend money very much, and that was money not well spent by Miami. They're a cheap franchise. They're one of these 10 teams that collects revenue-sharing money and doesn't spend it. So the Miami Marlins are currently 3-5. and five. They are ahead of the Phillies. They won't be ahead of the Phillies for very long, but very clearly the Miami Marlins are not as good as the Braves, not as good as the Mets, not as good as the Phillies who went to the World Series last year. So they are very clearly going to finish fourth place in the National League East. The Nationals are tanking and trying to get top draft picks. The Marlins are trying to compete. I think they have their largest payroll in franchise history, and they're still 20th in baseball in terms of payroll. So the Miami Marlins are three and five. They're going to finish fourth in the division. We knew they were going to finish fourth in the division to start the season. The good news is that the NL East is one of the stronger divisions and they spread out the schedule. So they play the Braves, Mets, and Phillies about... I'm trying to do the math real quick. They play them about 35 times less than they would have last season which is helpful for them because spreading out the schedule a little bit means that they're going to get more wins against the crappy american league teams and i say all of this to bring up the fact that the three and five miami marlins are already getting dumped on and jazz chisholm went to twitter on friday and said guys it's only game eight why is everyone panicking a tweet that got over a million views within six hours of being tweeted. Jazz's response to that was, come back when it's game 40. That's a quarter of the way, or at least game 30. His response was, when we're fourth in the division after game 40, that's when you can start panicking. But it's game eight. Why is everyone panicking? 
usually not the response you see to a team starting off poorly, but it's Jazz Chisholm, and Jazz Chisholm is the guy who is on the cover of MLB The Show. He's the guy who talks shit. He's the guy who, when he didn't like a call by an umpire on Friday, hit a home run in the at-bat, got to home plate, and did a Euro step, like a basketball Euro step, on the umpire. Like, the umpire is to his left. He's coming up to home plate. He hits Eurostep to the left of the umpire, comes back to the right and lands on home plate, and then lays it up after the fact. Like, this is the dude who steals bases, drops middle fingers, flips bats, and is on the cover of MLB The Show because he is a personality who talks shit. Including talking shit by saying, guys, it's only game number eight. Why is everyone panicking? Come back when it's game 40, that's a quarter of the way, or at least game 30. A guy who talks shit so much that there were rumors the Marlins were considering just trading him last year because the locker room didn't like him. Which is a stupid thing with the fun of baseball and all that stuff, and had he made it to the World Baseball Classic, he would have been a star like Randy Rosarena, having fun flipping bats, doing all the fun stuff around the tournament that made the World Baseball Classic so much fun. I love Jazz Chisholm. Love Jazz Chisholm. And so after this tweet gets a million views in about six hours, it obviously becomes a bit of a story. He tweets out, What's up, guys? So my girlfriend says I can't tweet nothing till game 40. See you guys then. Sorry she runs the relationship. Laughing face emoji, shrugging emoji. This whole interaction is just beautiful. One, because girlfriend saying I can't tweet might be code word for Miami Marlins say I can't tweet anymore because I tweeted after game eight, why is everyone panicking? Come back when it's game 40. That's a quarter of the way or at least game 30. Viral tweet calling out people for calling people out for panicking after three and five. Team already has issues with him being a quote-unquote distraction because the Miami Marlins are repressed and don't want the PR crises. Every time my inflection changes in my voice, I'm being sarcastic and using air quotes. And so Jazz Chisholm, who gets a viral tweet calling out people for panicking, becomes a distraction once again, and all of a sudden he can't tweet anymore. Maybe it's the Marlins telling him he can't tweet. Maybe it really is his girlfriend telling him he can't tweet. I don't care which one it is. I think this whole Twitter thread that came out on Friday was absolutely hilarious. Hilarious. And I hope that we get Jazz Chisholm tweeting more. And I hope we get more weird controversies like this. Because it was really funny. Are the Miami Marlins any good? No. Are the Miami Marlins trying to be good? Not in the ways that would be necessary for them to get good. They are not smart like the Tampa Bay Rays. They don't spend money like the Braves. They are kind of just fourth place in the division. And by the way, the Miami Marlins have made the playoff one time in the last 20 seasons. And that one year they made it, they won a wildcard series against the Cubs during the 60-game COVID season. The Miami Marlins have the cover of MLB The Show. They have the best pitcher, maybe in all of baseball. They have very little else that is exciting, unless you really like John Birdie. 
as the starting third baseman or Brian Anderson being a replacement level player. The Marlins have two really fun, really cool players, and they are not going to be any good. When we get to game 40, like the Jazz Chisholm tweet says, we will look at the Miami Marlins and they will be 18 and 22, fourth place in the National League East with basically no chance of catching the wild card. They will be the eighth or ninth best team in baseball this year. Jazz Chisholm will hopefully put up big numbers, assuming he stays healthy, and the Miami Marlins will miss the playoffs. Do I want Jazz Chisholm to go to another team? Might be ideal. It'd be cool if he played for a team that will actually make the playoffs, the same way that it would be cool if Mike Trout or Shohei Otani played for a team that would make the playoffs, or the same way it would be cool if Corey Seager made the playoffs on the Texas Rangers. But if Jazz Chisholm is going to be National League Mike Trout, except he's going to have a personality, that's not a good example. If Jazz Chisholm is going to be National League Shohei Otani, where he's going to put up giant numbers, be fun, be exciting, talk shit, which is not necessarily Shohei Otani. If Jazz Chisholm is going to be National League Shohei Otani or is going to be South Florida Shohei Otani, then at the very least, let's let the man tweet. Let's let him do inflammatory tweets that will get baseball people talking and laughing. Because he puts up home runs and does Euro steps. He puts up home runs and does bat flips. He's so fun and so cool. And uh, I'm glad that this controversy was something I could bring to light because it was very funny. Are the Miami Mar- Are we going to talk about the Miami Marlins the rest of the season on this podcast? Maybe not. Maybe Jazz Chisholm will become one of our favorite players and we'll talk about some of the silly, funny stuff that he does over the coming weeks. But if we don't talk about the Miami Marlins again, at least we got this controversy eight games into the season where he's already fed up with Miami and Miami's already fed up with him. And whether his girlfriend is telling him he can't tweet or that's code word for the Marlins saying he can't tweet anymore. We're just going to laugh and go along the way as the Jazz Chisholm Miami Marlins experience hopefully becomes such a stalemate and he becomes such a flair of flavorful baseball player that the Miami Marlins get sick of him and trade him to the, Do- the well, not the Dodgers, trade him to the, the resistance in San Diego so that he can be the fun, amazing player on a good team. And San Diego's got a whole lot of players that kind of match his vibe. Fernando Tatis was on the cover of the show. Manny Machado's happy to talk shit and be the villain. Hey, man, I'm cool with it. Get Jazz Chisholm to San Diego. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to Wired Up episode 140 and for spending some time with us here in this baseball universe. You can catch the resistance of San Diego trying to take down the Dodger Empire in a couple weeks. I'm sure that's the uh, the next time we'll get super big into baseballs when Xander Bogarts and Jake Cronenworth and the San Diego resistance do their best to battle against the Dodgers. So we'll talk to you guys again on Monday. We've got more Take It Easy podcasts coming your way. And in the meantime, take it easy as always. Thank you for joining us here in a galaxy far, far away in our Major League Baseball Wired Up podcast. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. 
after five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the Force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.